Alrighty, welcome to Outrageously Unnecessary. I'm your host, Haley. Over there is my host, Steven. Hey guys, sorry, a long time, no record. Stoked to be back and stoked to record for you guys tonight. Yeah, as per usual, uh, life stuff happened. I was working much overtime. I had a couple of vacation weekends. Steven was uh, busy becoming a business person. And <laughs> doing legit business things. He's doing he's walking around in a suit carrying a briefcase, yeah. topping topping his hat off of people. The suit the, the suitcase just says business on it. That, that's it. it. It just it literally <laughs> says the word business. You might trip, many papers fall out of it. We don't know what the papers are for. No, the, the, Why do you have so many loose papers? Yeah, the, the papers are all blank. You know, they're they're all blank. They're just for show. And like on my business cards it just says Stephen Kerb businessman. That's it. Like, what type of business are you in? I'm in the biz. I'm just in the biz. I'm just a stereotypical 80s businessman Absolutely. here to make a deal with you. Absolutely. Yep, yep. I, I've even got the, uh, the, 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 the bell-bottom, you know, suit and everything and, you know, the really wide tie. Um, Ooh, very wide tie. Yeah, super very wide tie. Very large lapels. Yep, and then I got, like, the aviator, kind of like, you know, like light, light tint, you know, sunglasses. Ooh. Oh, that's very good. But for some reason, I do have like the '40s, like do 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 do, like sort of man about town, like business on the or like city on the rise sort of music that's like behind you, even though that's very much so like a '20s through '40s sort of feel. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I still think that I'm I was born in the wrong decade. Like I would have loved to been born in you know the late 50s 60s and stuff um man maybe even late i mean like i don't know like the the late 30s early 40s right before war old war two uh was a really cool time um, being a depression child would have been i mean like coming off, coming off of the depression though because like really i like to like 39 40 you know they started to come off of it you know the economy tried to pick back up obviously like pre-depression like in like the roaring 20s like you know 2019 to 2021 and and like just being born in the gilded age into a wealthy family i think is the goal in this podcast i mean yeah it's definitely the goal and it's also obviously all of our listeners should know that that's like literally the highlight like of the dream of life that we want absolutely oh absolutely but you cannot be in literally any class but the wealthy like any other class you are not having the best time but if you just could be born as an insanely wealthy, gilded age tycoon, <laughs> we're here for it. That actually gives me an idea. We should do a segment sometime, and yeah. we should um, pretend that we were born in the gilded age in a wealthy family, and what are some of the crazy things that we would do with our wealth? Oh, would we, okay. I mean, super would, creative, just completely creative. Oh, completely creative. But like, part of me wants to be... So, like, it would be period accurate because we'd be Gilded Age. Correct. But do, would we do it for, like, our ages now? Because part, part of me wants to think about, like, the cotillions and mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. like, coming-of-age parties that right. 15-year-old girls had to do. <laughs> I think no, no, I think it's free game. I think whatever age group you want to put yourself in, like, complete creative freedom over, the, over everything. 
I'm very down. <laughs> cool. Do we have to put on like really shit accents because I would be very down for putting on some very shit posh accents. <laughs> <laughs> My daddy runs a train empire. <laughs> Does he really? <laughs> Wonderful. He ta- oh, Sir Fitzwilliam, you do dare. <laughs> It's too perfect. I can't. It's it hurts. It hurts. It's so perfect. Haley, are oh, you a time no. traveler? Because I really want to know. Because you do that a little too perfectly. No, it's because I just watch so many BBC period dramas. Of course you do. <laughs> of course. It's it's either British reality television, which is infinitely better than anything that American reality television can come up with, or a BBC period drama. That's all I know how to watch. <laughs> uh, oh, what was the uh, the re- the recurring BBC show with uh, Dame Judi Dench? Oh, 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 I don't know. Oh. Someone out there that, that listens to this be like, oh, it's da-da-da-da, idiot. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I should know this. Um, Please at us. Please, like, yeah, at us I know, like, us big know pod- Big podcasts are like, don't at me at this because I'm just going to get a million tweets. Nah, we want to see it. At us. Call us out. Tell us we're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's out uh, at O Unnecessary Pod on Twitter or at Outrageously Unnecessary on Instagram. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This casual plugging of our social meets. Um, but have I introduced what the show is about yet? I feel like I kind of skipped that part. Yeah, you did. Oh, okay. Well, hi. Um, thanks for listening for the past five minutes and uh, 40-odd seconds. Uh, this is a show all about the insane uh, and ridiculous things that the wealthy have done throughout the ages. And so this is where Stephen and I will tell each other a um, all about a single topic. And uh, we're here to learn you some knowledge, maybe get you some Jeopardy facts. Uh, certainly things that you can pull out at parties uh, just to really rile up your hatred of the upper class, that 1%, or think about, like, oh, how ridiculous. They thought that it was interesting to wear powder on their heads. I don't know. Um, <laughs> does that sound about accurate, uh, Stephen? Sounds super accurate. Super. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We've learned a lot. We have. And it usually either makes us very angry or very sad. We have had several wholesome episodes, though, so I recommend going through the back catalog and finding those wholesome ones. Yeah, we a- absolutely. Uh, definitely some wholesome ones. Like, some of them are just like, oh, man, like, that, like, that was heavy. Like, <laughs> we, I, need to, I need to take a second. I, I need a second after that. You just kind of hurt after it. You're like, oh, I know this is supposed to be, like, a fun comedy sort of thing, but... I'm in pain right now. Uh, <laughs> okay, speaking of pain, no, that was bad. Steven, do you want to tell me about what you brought to the table today? What the? F- <laughs> speaking of pain, <laughs> do I remind you of pain, Haley? No, that's why I said no, that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so my topics tonight, um, you know, looking through, uh, I feel like at some point, like, it's going to get more and more difficult to find stuff. Like, I feel like, like I'm going to have to literally go to a library and, like, start, like, checking out books. I do genuinely um, feel like we need to start doing that. We're only on episode 24. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I know there's got to be a plethora of stories out there, you know, if they're cataloged. Um, so I've actually got two people that I'm going to bring up tonight um, that um, one... 
is interesting and the other I just want to like punch in the face. Ooh, good. So, um, I wonder who you're going to give me first. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to give. Do we want to start on a high note or end on a high note? <laughs> uh, no, no, we're, we're going to end on a high note. So the first guy I want to talk about is um, uh, the punchable. No, 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 no. We're going to talk about the, the interesting guy first. Um, oh, okay. Because I did not realize that this was who this guy was. Um, I'm familiar with this, and you will be too. But what is okay? So as a kid. I remember having this, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. If I remember, it was like a, oh yeah, the old early 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle show. Did you ever watch okay. that? Yes, of course. Okay, so the uh, the turtle van that was from that show, I remember getting that as, as a present. Uh, mm-hmm. For I think it was my fourth or fifth birthday. Uh, it's one of the earliest memories that I have. So I would, I, I mean, I went everywhere with that thing. And from what I remember, I, I took it everywhere. I even took it like to other kids' birthday parties and like other people's houses. And like, I just, yeah, I went everywhere with it. And I, and I would call it, it was, it was my pet turtle van. I would keep calling it like mm-hmm. my, my pet turtle van. And I wish you had an actual pet turtle that you stuck in this van. Oh, I wish. Uh, no, I never had a pet turtle. I wish. But it was just like, it was like, a, it was like a super weird thing. Obviously it wasn't a pet. It was an inanimate object. Um, but, um, this particular individual made popular a, an object that you would never, ever imagine that people would claim to be a pet, but he did. And he made Is it the pet rock guy. Yes. Did we talk <gasps> about this guy? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And I found, and I found this guy. I was like, Oh, that's who this guy is. Yeah. All you guys, you remember Pet Rock? You know, you know about that thing. Um, did we talk about Pet Rock guy? I can't remember. I feel like we might have, but please go ahead anyway. Yeah. So this guy, Gary Dahl, um, and, and if, if we have, then it's a fun reminder for you guys, right? Okay. Hey, it's been it's been a week. It's been we've had life. Okay. This guy, Gary Dahl, um, he became a, a multimillionaire by just selling ordinary rocks. Um, he actually he passed away here a few years back uh, at the age of seventy eight, but uh, he started out as an advertising copywriter, and he, after listening to his friends complain about having to care for actual pets, he decided to do this initially kind of as a gag joke. Um, so he he got what the, a good thing to make a million dollars off of, right? Just like a comp- yeah, um, but it actually you know he he thought it up in nineteen seventy five. But it actually became such a huge thing that people just fell in love with it and were buying it. Um, he initially me s- and this rock with googly eyes, man, taking Chad, taking Chad here to the beach. Chad the Rock, what? Chad the Rock, come on, little buddy, hop in your crate. So he, he initially sold them for four dollars, like just four bucks, four bucks each, and just a year later, how much is four dollars in? You said the seventies was when this happened. Yeah, that's probably eight bucks now, eight or nine. Uh-huh. Um, so he started it in nineteen seventy-five. It was discontinued in February the following year, but by that point he was already a multimillionaire. And uh, in a People interview in nineteen seventy-five, he, he explained the product's success. He said, "People are so damn bored, tired of all their problems. This takes them on a fantasy trip. You might say we've packaged a sense of humor." And the article goes on to describe the pet rock in very grandiose terms. 
In quotes, they are not, of course, prosaic pebbles, but egg-shaped Mexican beach stones, comma, nestled on a bed of excelsior and packaged in a little doggy carrying case equipped with breathing holes, end quote. A bed of excelsior? A bed of excelsior. What does that mean? Excelsior is a... That's not a physical thing. That's what somebody shouts when they're going on an adventure. Excelsior. Yeah, that's well, what a wizard. That's what that, a wizard is shouting. Well, he was a, he was a wizard in and of his own right because he took something that was inanimate and he made a million dollars off of it. That's fair. He just he he took was a wizard Mexican in his own people. rights. Can I be this man? Yes, sure. I can. Oh my god, my name is Gary. Yes, call me Gary. Gary Haley Doll. <laughs> Borden. <laughs> yes. Perfect. So yeah, so pet rock guy. So yeah, I I, I, I came across that article. And was like, oh wow, that's the guy that did the pet rock thing. Cause I remember that. I mean, I remember that when I was a kid. Like, pe- I remember people like mentioning like pet rocks and stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, like I knew kids that had rock collections, like some pretty cool yeah. rock collections. Oh, I was a rock collection kid. I I actually did. I, I know what any of them were called. Uh, no. I collected seashells. Oh. I had some in a very large jar that was like... I grew up in a house with extremely tall ceilings, so Mm -hmm. um, you had to use a ladder to reach this one, like, built-in shelf Mm -hmm. in in my room that was, like, touching the ceiling, and that is where the seashell jar went. And I remember I put a fuzzy cattail in it, and that thing exploded one day. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Sorry, that was that was a tangent. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> I mean, sure. <sighs> We're struggling. We are. It's okay though. Is this content? Is this what the kids call hashtag content? Hashtag content. I think I think our listeners know us a little bit better by now to know that even though we struggle, like they they still love us and they still listen. God, I hope so. So the next person is kind of, he's the epitome of a rich douche, like a hundred percent. Perfect. Have you ever heard? You mean what the show is about? Yeah, a hundred percent. Have you heard of Prince Alwaleed bin Talal? No. Prince Alwaleed bin Talal is a 58-year-old Saudi Arabian financial, media, and real estate mogul. He, in his possession, he has a 460,000-square-foot complex with 371 rooms, an 80-foot-high entrance hall, 500 televisions, and a staff of over 100 people. This particular complex is worth, or he spent on, um, he spent over $130 million on this home. All right. He was, uh, he worked hard to become the Western face of Saudi finance, and he actually is the second largest voting shareholder in News Corporation after he bought, um, um, he also bought and kept Citibank alive back in the early 90s. He bought, he bought like, a buku amount of shares for like 500 something million and that turned into like a bajillion dollars for him um but that's not really kind of what he's known for he's 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 actually got some scandal attached to his name and one of the funniest scandals um that um he he's a he's tied to is 
um, some of his staff members that he has employed. He employs dwarfs for his entertainment. Oh, that, oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Not in this day and age. Maybe in the 1500s for Queen Elizabeth's court, but... (laughs) There was a source um, of a former employee of Alawids who confirmed that typically dwarves are outcasted in Saudi Arabia. But they came looking for work, they came begging, and Alawid, in his great beneficence, hired them to be his roving band of court jesters. Oh, no, this is like, he was partially doing a good thing by by making yeah. sure they were able to feed themselves, but like, no, no, he was we doing couldn't have given them normal job? A good thing. <laughs> yes, this is, this is a good thing wrapped up in a shit present. You gotta scoop your way through some cow poop to get to this diamond. Oh, strudel. Although he said, <laughs> I'm instilling them a work ethic. And you can't really fault that. Ah, uh, uh, a work ethic as a jester. What happens if they're not naturally funny? Some well, people just don't have a sense of humor. That's okay, because um, him and some of his closest friends used to ga- engage in an act known as dwarf tossing. Oh no! Oh yes! Oh, oh no! Yes. Oh, no. It was kind of like a circus situation. Um, they are considered to be uh, human projectiles, and they're, yeah, they do have pillows to catch them most oh, of the time. Oh, thank God for that. Most of the time. Oh, that's that's a um, that's something you should pay attention to. That's a nice little asterisk <laughs> on the end of that. There was actually even one evening, um, they had a large bonfire at his estate, and... In the fire, he threw thousands of $100 bills in the bonfires and had the dwarves dive in for them. That's just rude. Yeah. That's just rude. That's rude as hell. I would be diving for that money. Why you... Ugh. Ugh. And then of I'm course, literally shaking my head right now. Like yeah, we just had a, like five seconds of silence right there because I. Uh, ooh, nope. Okay, please continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then he's also, you know, he also spent, you know, another like 175 million to acquire a hotel in Paris, and then he also spent another 125 million to renovate it. You know, all of the the, the typical stuff, but. Yeah, rich this, people bullshit. Rich people bullshit. But this guy's a dwarf tosser, and um, I'd like to toss him off of a building. I would. Uh, can we toss him into a bonfire, much like he tossed that Absolutely. money? Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are my two people for tonight: um, Gary Dahl those and were very uh, good. Mr. Dalal. So. Oh fuck that last guy! Yeah, fuck that guy. I think that the dwarves should rise up and be like, "Hey, you were a dick." Let's take care of this and do with them. At least make him do all the things that they were forced to do, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, that just feels... mm, That makes me feel yucky. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't like that one bit. But, oh, 
And now what I have is just a bad question. Would it be wrong to make our, uh, would it be wrong to make our, um, our title for this episode Dwarf Tossing? Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Is it even an option for the poll? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I definitely should be an option. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll put it up there. I feel a little bit yucky about it, but it is kind of a very funny, like, turn of phrase. Yeah. My, I mean, like, my father used to toss me as a child. Like, they used to huck me like a football, and it used to scare the bejesus out of my mom. But, like, I don't know. Children are pliable. Once you reach adulthood, it doesn't matter how tall you are. You're not as pliable as a small child. Hmm. Hmm? Mm. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. They're just... Children are made of cartilage. They're bendy. That's true. Like, I've seen Stella and Lincoln, my two children, run into things and just bounce back like it was nothing. And it's like, oh, man, if I, if I did that now, like, I'd be down for a week. <laughs> you're like, oh, God, my back. It hurts. My hip is in pain. Yeah, no, children, pliable, bendy things, mostly made of cartilage. Uh, don't quote me on that, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> not a doctor. <laughs> not a doctor. Uh, <laughs> shall we move on to chump change? We shall. And I've got something for the chump change. Do we not Ooh. have a little thing for that yet if not then i just we do have one. a thing for that oh cool if you nice. if you've listened there's some nice uh coins that clink oh nice uh, yeah so for chump change i've got the chumpiest chump thing that you've ever chump chump mm. actually can we just edit that out that was dumb stupid no uh, i'm keeping that in <laughs> keep your shame i will keep my shame so people like to pamper themselves right Haley? Yeah. Yeah, sure. People like to spend money to pamper themselves and make them feel nice, make them feel lovely. Absolutely. And the one thing that I know that I will never, ever, ever sacrifice quality or price for, I will spend a little bit more if I have to, to always have the softest freaking toilet paper. Mm-hmm. That is That's something a good point. Yeah. I can never, never sacrifice quality on. You know, and None of that one ply. Nope. No, fuck that one ply. You know, I will spend six or seven dollars on, you know, a six pack of Charmin Plus Ultra. Absolutely. I mean, I mean the one ply, you're like, oh, but it's cheaper. And it's like, no, it's not because you're using more in order to get the coverage you need. So really, you're just ended up spending more on your on your uncomfortable one ply. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would like to tell you about a a company that makes the world's most expensive toilet paper. I swear, if it's made out of twenty four karat gold, I'm gonna slap somebody. It isn't. But let me tell you about the process behind making this toilet paper. So first of all, the toilet paper is from Japan. Should there be really any shock there with that? It feels it feels like it would be Japan to come up with this. Okay. Yep. Um, The paper 
is actually a very specific paper called Hanebisho, Hanebisho paper, H-A-N-E-B-I-S-H-O, Hanebisho paper. Hmm. It is made with the highest quality wood fiber pulp that is imported from Canada, but it is treated with water from the clearest stream in Japan, the Nyoto River, which actually ranked first in back in 2010 for the Japanese National River Water Quality Ranking. Didn't know that was a thing, but sure. That's a thing, and I'm super interested about that, and I'm going to have to look into that. <laughs> the production process is actually very similar to making pancakes. Uh, huh? Yes. If the heat from the burner is too high, there's actually a burner that, that, that kind of burns the pulp together, and kind of and, and as it's treated with the water, it's kind of a refining-type process. If, if the heat is too high, the bottom will burn, and the middle will be dry. So to make sure each uh, hanabisho turns out perfectly soft, the toilet paper is dried very, very slowly to make sure that it's super nice and super fluffy. Oh, you're cooking that pancake on a low heat. Yeah, low and slow. The production process is actually it's adjusted for temperature and humidity on a daily basis, so no two days production methods are actually the same. What? They change it daily based on the day on the day and the product and like the humidity and the salinity of the air and all that. Like they factor in everything. So once the paper is ready, the maker of each roll writes the name and date on, on production before sending it to the company president for inspection. For the last 10 years, he has tested every Hanabisho roll on his own ass to make sure <laughs> it fits the set standard of quality. I know it's supposed to be soft, but like wiping your ass that much has got to chafe some things. Mm. The sacrifices this man makes. So the rolls are then sent to the design department after they're, you know, stamped with his ass approval, where the most fastidious of fastidious artisans decorate them with intricate patterns, ensuring that the design remains stylish no matter where the toilet paper is torn. What? But wait, there's more, Haley. No. The packaging. What are the designs? (laughs) I will send you a picture. Thank you. For the last 10... Oh, wait. Sorry. The packaging of... I'm reading my notes. Uh, the packaging of Hanabisho is just as amazing as the product itself. It, each roll is completely and carefully wrapped in Tosawashi, which is a specialty Japanese paper uh, from the Kochi Prefecture, which is kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, it's placed in a decorative box, handmade by Kyoto artisans, and the inside of each box is covered with a pure silver leaf. According to the website, the toilet paper is the ultimate in softness in Japanese modern design, and it feels as if your skin is being gently swathed in silk. Oh my. I don't I don't think any butt deserves this. Would you like to know how much a three pack of Hanabi Show will cost you? I really do, because part of me wants to know if we can afford this, can we try the expensive toilet paper? It's only fifty one dollars. Oh, and for an eight th- for three. That's a that's a three pack. Now an eight pack is a hundred and two dollars per pack. That's a better bargain. That's a better bargain for the eight. It is a better bargain, absolutely. So that means like just a single roll ranges from about thirteen to seventeen dollars. So, Gilded Gang, if you would like to donate to our cause of trying this very expensive toilet paper. 
We're going to set up a GoFundMe. We're going to set up a GoFundMe. So that way we can buy this expensive toilet paper and let you know if the president's ass is correct in, in, in testing this, that it, that it is, in fact, the softest ever. Yes. Yes. Stephen, how did you find this? You know, because right now, like, I don't know what happened, but, like, I accidentally bought one ply toilet paper accidentally. Oh, my heart goes out um, for you. Yeah, so I was very, very upset. Very upset. So it just reminded me of that today because, I mean, I wiped my ass today, obviously. (laughs) And you were sad? And I was really, really sad. So, um, yeah. Just Googled you some expensive toilet paper. Can you send me the photo of... uh... Of what this toilet paper looks like because I, will, I am just the it's not loading. I will send it to you after the episode. Okay. And so I'll have it for you and we'll have it up. So to everyone else, we will put this onto the Instagram and onto the Twitters, and uh, that way you too can see the glory that is this toilet paper. Yes. I'm excited for whenever it does load. By the way, if anyone can hear any, like, major crunching in the background, I took Strudel's squeaky ball away from her so she wouldn't squeak during the episode. And now oh, she, has nice. found a, she has found a Nyla bone to chew on instead, which is worse. So, <laughs> apologies to my listeners, but I cannot disappoint her twice. Yeah. Yeah. So, would you like to hear about my topic? I would, indeed. Okay, so I um, I don't know how long this is going to be. I wrote it out, but I still am not necessarily sure how long it's going to take to discuss. And it's more, it is certainly a luxury. And it Ooh. is it is certainly, um, it's a very famous luxury. I don't Ooh. know how outrageous or unnecessary it is, but it piqued my interest because... Frankly, my dumbass got real into the idea of this after my chump change about the extremely expensive train in Japan that recently mm-hmm. launched that I no longer remember the name of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I said I might use it as a topic, but I got to thinking, what about the original luxury train, which mm. is, of course, the Orient Express? Yes. 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 So. Orient Express. The other reason why I'm very into the Orient Express right now is because uh, the 2017 Kenneth Branagh version of of uh, the movie of the Orient Express is yeah 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 yeah. It is just peak perfection of literally like cinematography, dialogue, acting. It just makes my heart very very happy. And I saw I made, your I saw your tweet. Oh, I made Garrett watch it, and he was—he guessed the the mystery like almost immediately. But I didn't—I didn't spoil it for him. Um, and he's just like, "This was a really good movie." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know why it has bad scores on Rotten Tomatoes." And he's like, "Well, you like theater, so." And I'm like, "Oh, is this—is this theatrical?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize I just thought it was a good slow burn mo- murder mystery that was like yeah. quippy and clever and it just made my heart real happy so oh, anyways yeah, so everybody good. go watch that Kenneth Branagh love that man um so the Orient Express um 
And then uh, you'll also hear the name Venice Simplon Orient Express. Um, apparently there are multiple Orient Expresses that exist due to different train routes and owners. Uh, so like the one that you know from murder on the Orient Express is actually the Venice Simplon Orient Express, whereas like the original, uh, I don't, it gets very confusing. But in any case, uh, the first test run of the train happened in 1882. Uh, the train was created by the son of a Belgian banker, and this guy had the best name that I've ever heard in my life. His name is Georges Nagelbacher. Ooh. <laughs> Georges Nagelbacher. Nagelbacher. Uh, or Nagelmacher, if we want to pronounce it like a dumb American, but I'm pretty sure it's Nagelmacher. Um, so, anyways... He uh, wanted a, a train éclair de luxe, which makes me just think that it's a luxury éclair made with, like, really quality cream filling. Mm. 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 Just like, ooh, maybe it's a bunch of éclairs laid end-to-end, like a little choo-choo train. Mm. Just, a choo-choo train of deliciousness. Mm. I would eat that. I would, I would eat that in a heartbeat. I'd love me some éclairs. Mm. Um... Yeah, apparently that's not what that means, though. Uh, apparently it translates to lightning luxury train, which I didn't think that Eclair meant lightning, but I don't know. The internet told me so, so it must be true. Ah, um, so he wanted to make a traveling hotel because someone had to cater to the wealthy, and the normal trains across Europe weren't cutting it at the time. And this mm. is 1882. Trains are a relatively recent invention. Um... So he had gone on a trip to America where there is a train called the uh, Pullman train or like the Pullman Express. I just remember the name Pullman. Um, This was the the Pullman train pretty much was the Orient Express of America. It was cushy and deluxe and it had chandeliers and butlers. And um, our dear boy Georges Nagelmacher was like, how the fuck does Europe not have this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just to really quickly send you an image of, of just how cushy this is, of, of the Pullman train. Everything Ooh. is like hand-carved, ornate wood pieces. Everything is curving really nicely, but it's that like 1800-style, um, really, really cushioned-up chairs. Everything just looks really comfy, and it's that fabric that's just... Um, the most elaborate pattern you've ever seen in your life. Anytime I see a picture like this, especially in black and white, especially like from that time period, I immediately think either ghost train or terrifying or s- serial killer. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I, this is definitely a haunted train. I, I'm absolutely. 100%. It's 100% a haunted train. How could it not be? Like. I didn't find anything about people actually getting murdered on the Orient Express. Like, that was just an Agatha Agatha Christie novel thing. But, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying that's haunted, but I'm willing to bet it's haunted. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely willing to bet that. Yeah. Now, would you pay me a million dollars to stay overnight on one? Oh, I'd take a million dollars to stay on this extremely cushy train. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have no qualms with staying on this 
extremely luxurious train. If but I get with, to meet a ghost with, out of it, sure. With, yeah, but with no Wi-Fi, no cell phone, no nothing. I think there's enough on this train to keep me entertained. <laughs> I would just literally be poking and prodding my way through, being like, hi, what delightful nook and crannies can I get my, my little gr- <sighs> my grubby gremlin hands on? Do you suppose there's probably hidden compartments? God, I hope there are. I really hope that they're for, like, the butlers or... Or, like, secret, like, meet up and have sex places? You know there had to have been. Secret bone places. That's what they are. They're secret bone places. <laughs> bone it's and for- bones have... Do- Wait, bones have double meaning. It's a secret place where they stash bodies that get murdered and also a bone as in boning. It's the bone zone. <laughs> This 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 train is for boning. <laughs> I don't think I've actually used the word boning since middle school, so thanks for bringing that one back. You got it. The Orient Express, the boning express. <laughs> no, this one's the Pullman. The Pullman train is the boning. Oh, the, oh okay, got it. <laughs> no, it's the yeah. You you get on the Pullman to you know. Yeah. Pull a man. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, this is bad. This is bad innuendo. Oh god, I gotta mark this explicit for sure. Um, not that every single episode we record is not already explicit. Um, okay, so, anyways, Georges Nagelmaka sees the Pullman train. It's very cushy. Chandeliers, butlers. There's goblets in a dining car. He's like, I want this. So, he creates his own, the Orient Express. Uh, I think it was originally like Le Express de Orient, but then the newspapers just dubbed it the Orient Express, so that's what it got called. Um, so the first run uh, in 1882 uh, originally only went from Paris to Vienna, which is not like a super long trip. I mean, it's long, but it's not as long as what the Orient Express would eventually do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which that the the longest run that it did do was from Paris to Constantinople, which is um, the farthest east that it would go. It never actually went anywhere into the Orient, but it did bring Europeans into the exotic Middle East, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, people were like, holy shit, Constantinople, sign me up. There's, they got bazaars. They're, wow, people of brown skin, because, you know, racist. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, so it was the first train that would connect the East and the West, uh, and people could make it to Constantinople without taking a boat, which was huge. And this would be the first train to have, uh, sleeping cars and dining cars. Before, it was just, you know, normal seats, and now it was like, oh, wow, I can actually take a nap here, or I could be fed food. Concept. Um... So, from Wikipedia, the train was composed of, and I think this is an order of of the coaches as as you're going down, so, like, baggage car was the caboose, then sleeping coach with 16 beds, sleeping coach with 14 beds, the restaurant car, the sleeping coach with 13 beds, sleep another sleeping coach with 13 beds, and then another baggage car. Mm. Um... And the first menu on board for the October 10th, 1882 trip, uh, the first menu was oysters, uh, soup with Italian pasta. I'm not sure if this word is pronounced turbo or turbot. 
T-U-R-B-O-T. I'm assuming it's French, probably Turbo. It's uh, yes, Turbo. Yeah, the okay. T would be silent. All right, Turbo with yeah, turbo. green sauce. Not sure what green sauce is. It is sauce that is green. What it's made out of, don't know. Who, who knows? Who knows? It, the sauce is green. Uh, chicken a la chasseur. I'm so bad at French. Uh, a filet of beef with chateau potatoes. Uh, Schadfreude of game animals. Not sure what a Schadfreude is, but it's saying of game animals. So multiple game animals in a dish called a Schadfreude. Mm-hmm. Lettuce. Why is lettuce its own ingredient? Lettuce is its own ingredient. Why does Why does that get its own line? Weird. Okay, and then chocolate pudding, and then a buffet of desserts. That was the that, that was the first dinner menu. <laughs> I bet that chocolate pudding was dope. I bet AF, the chocolate though. pudding was really dope, but I like the chocolate pudding is its own dessert, and then you can have a buffet of desserts. Yeah, absolutely. That's like the pre-dessert. That's like that's like the dessertizer, and then you have dessert. This makes me feel like it's sort of cruise ship eating, where like yeah. they have yeah. the menu. But then there's the buffet. So, like, Mm. eat the menu, go fill up on whatever you want afterwards. (laughs) So I've not been been on a cruise. That's on the list. See, I'm lucky enough that my family was uh, friends with with a uh, travel agent. And um, she was one of my dad's patients. So, uh, as thank yous, she would get us cheap tickets onto cruises so oh that's cool yeah so i was lucky enough. i went on like four cruises growing up so i'm really showing my uh, uh upper middle class upbringing right now but <laughs> <laughs> still not the one percent don't hate me everybody <laughs> i don't think we could hate you if you're one percent because i think you'd be a really good one percenter oh you'd you don't think good... that i would covet all of my money <laughs> you'd be a good egg I'd be a good egg. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking I want a private zoo. Maybe let some hippos loose somewhere. I mean, I would want... you do weird shit? Yes. Can I have a vending a machine of gold? Yes. No, I'd most likely... No, you know, I'm trying to decide what I would do. I, I would probably have acres and acres of my own gardens and, like, private gardeners and, like, an Oprah bathtub. <laughs> I would like to just pick and choose, like, out of these episodes, the things that I would want to keep. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. Oprah bathtub Mm -hmm. is up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But in any case, um, so the Orient Express was at its most popular in the 1920s and the 1930s. Uh, The 1930s one confuses me because apparently that was the golden age of travel, but it was the Depression. So I don't know... I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Jeez. I, why was why why was the depression the golden age of travel? But like when you think about it, it was. That was when a lot of like aviators were doing their thing, and like trains were really hot to trot. Cars were being a thing. But how do they afford? To do but that? how did how they, they afford it? <laughs> I don't know. Was it? I need to learn more about the one percent during the thirties because I have no idea. Well, that, like the poor were very poor, but like yeah, what about but, the rest? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in one of those in one of our episodes, we actually I think we brought up a theory that there ha- there had to have been 
a group of 1% elites that kept certain things running. There had to have. Otherwise, the economy would have collapsed. I mean, the economy did collapse. But you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it collapsed to a point that was unrecoverable. Yeah, I don't... Oh, no. My inner historian is screaming at me right now for not actually mm. knowing this. I can just hear my my AP U.S. history teacher just yelling at me right now. Sure. God, sure. Mr. Moody, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Moody. Um, my AP my AP history teacher was always drunk. Oh, that's fun. Mine uh mine was amazing. He uh looked like a neo Nazi was not um, but he. <laughs> He was to shave ball. He was the beefiest man you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And um, he had, uh, like, flags from all different, like, eras of history in his room. But he also had a lot of different weapons from eras of history in his room. He had a Ph.D. in the Civil War. And um, he would stand behind our door, or, like, the, the door to the room with a bat sometimes and he would scare you as you were walking in and oh uh, that's fun that's super fun uh but my (laughs) during my sophomore year of high school we did a production of the producers and we had to make um we had to make tanks for one of the first springtime for hitler and so we actually gave him one of the tanks to put in his classroom after the show was over and he kept that (laughs) so that was awesome yeah yeah but mr moody mr moody was oh my god his only goal in life was to train you to be in uh in jeopardy one of these days like he he wanted to make sure you voted and he wanted to make sure you knew your u.s history and then our ap u.s gov teacher who was his best friend gave us pocket constitutions and those things were like we knew our fucking rights man but carry around your pocket constitution i still have mine Um, oh yeah yeah mr moody would also if uh you were late to class you had to stand next to your desk while everyone else was sitting you had to you were not allowed to sit down unless he like agreed you were allowed to sit down if you were late to class or um if none of us knew the answer to a question and it was obvious we should know the answer to the question then he made all of us stand up and none of us were allowed to sit down until we answered the question. Oh no. He sounds amazing. <laughs> That's the thing. Everything that he like did, it sounds terrible. His class was the best fucking class I ever took. Like that man was amazing. <laughs> he made you love history. <laughs> That's awesome. Every time there was like a that. financial panic uh in in history that we had to talk about, uh he would um he was like, and of course this led to a panic, and he would just scream it, and all of us would. <laughs> <laughs> he made sure you were paying attention. Oh, he would also Photoshop uh, his face into one of the pictures in his PowerPoint presentation for every single uh, lesson, so you'd have to see where his face was. Like that'd be awesome, and then like on the test, like <laughs> have a question like. And which picture was my face in, in this presentation? <laughs> in this presentation, was my face on A, President Reagan's head, B, <laughs> Vice President Agnew's head? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyways, I loved him. That was sorry, a very long tangent. That. that was a really long tangent. Also, I'm sorry that your guy was drunk for most of the time. That's not great. 
It, it was a gal. That's fine. It's also not great. Anyone drunk at school is not great. No, it's okay. Okay, I digress. My topic's going on much longer than I thought it would, so that's both a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. Um, mm. Okay, so this is a quote from uh, a website called Bliss from Bygone Days. Uh, they actually had a very good article on this, so probably most of what I'm going to be talking about uh, is going to be from their website. Uh Quote, the fame of the Orient Express that made it conquer a place into the annals of history forever could not probably be reached if it wasn't for celebrities who slept in its cozy berths and the important historical events occurred on it. Celebs of the time, such as King Ferdinand of Bulgaria, Leo Tolstoy, actress Marlene Marlene Dietrich, British officer Lawrence of Arabia, American dancer Josephine Baker, and German World War I spy Mata Hari. Again, Mahatma Gandhi, President Theodore Roosevelt, founder of psychoanalysis Sigmund Freud, Princess Grace of Monaco, Bridget Bardot, and many more. The Orient Express has been the place where in 1918 the Armistice of Compiègne was uh, between the Allies and Germany was signed, officially ending the fighting of World War I. I did not know that the Orient Express is where World War One ended. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea that that is wow, the location no. that the treaty was signed. Like, I knew that wait, obviously... something... Wait, something in the back of my... Back of my high school mind is screaming, you know this. But, mm. I mean, obviously we had to have learned it at some point, but I just don't Absolutely. know. I don't know. But, okay. Again from the website, Bliss from Bygone Days. Uh, quote, flaunting fine interiors as well as the most high-tech facilities of the day featured the cabin's uh, central heating, hot water and gas lighting, incredible luxuries such as padded interiors, Cordoba leather ceilings. Why is the ceiling leather? Um, That's weird. Art Nouveau style Lalique crystal bas-relief panels with Cuban mahogany as well as Rene Pru Art Deco-style elegant walls of the restaurant car. Uh, and also velvet curtains, uh, goblins tapestries. I almost read that as goblins. Um, <laughs> goblins tapestries. Goblins. <laughs> There's goblins in these here tapestries. Um, embroidered tablecloths, silk sheets, marble bath fixtures, crystal goblets, and silver cutlery. There was an actual piano in the bar car. Of course. So uh, they had like the chefs with the big tall hats, like with the, like a French chef. It was insane. So anyways, I would like to send you a photo of, uh, and again, these will be available on the Insta and probably Twitter. Instagram is usually where the best place to find these photos are. Um, In... 2014, there was an exhibit in Paris called Once Upon a Time, The Orient Express, where artists and historians made complete reconstructions of the cars uh, for people to be able to explore it. And um, so we actually have in-color photos of, of, what, of what The Orient Express looked at. And, like, seeing Ooh. these photos genuinely makes me want to cry with just, like, how beautiful they are. Like... I don't know. It's just, it's the epitome of class. 
like things are embossed on the wall. There's there's art deco reliefs, and also I'm such a huge fan of like the art deco style that it just, oh, mm-hmm. it makes my heart sing. But it's just unbearably beautiful. But also, wow, this is a train. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I would have loved to have gone on a train on like this. Oh my goodness, look at, look at that sitting room. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like full... Like, so, the way that I want to end this is by saying... Uh, well, firstly, nowadays, you can take the Venice Simplon Orient Express, uh, which still runs. Uh, they actually uh, took authentic 1920s and 1930s cars, and they did them up to look like their glory days. Uh, it, it's, uh, it was started in, I think, 1977, or rather, it had stopped for a chunk of time due to the wars and uh, a bunch of other things, but then uh, the Venice Simplon Orient Express was restarted in 1977, and that's the current company that is, like, running it today. Um, the ticket started $2,000 for a two-day standard trip. Uh, it is $4,000 if you want a suite, and that is per person. So if you and your significant other want to have a suite to yourselves, that's going to be $8,000 total. Yeah. So, um... Chump change. Yeah. Chump change. But, in any case, I had written... I know this isn't outrageous, and but it probably is unnecessary, but, but the train makes me very happy to talk about just with how pretty it is. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to, the way I wanted to finish this was that this is such a wonderful way to travel instead of being cooped up on an airplane with hundreds of other passengers and you're just hoping to have a little bit of legroom and like your ass becomes a pancake by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Traveling by the Orient Express let you see like the countrysides of the nations that you were going through. You got to be cozy in some very cushy chairs. You could have delicious five-star food. And it was expensive as hell. But like, god damn. I think in this case it was really the journey and not the destination that mattered. Beautiful. Thank you. I, 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 like, it felt very cheesy at the end there, but, like, I don't know. It just felt very, it really and truly was about the journey. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Everyone should go watch Murder on the Orient Express. It's really good. Um, they also do a very good job of recreating that train and, like, what it would have been like in, in the 1930s. Um, Yeah. That's, it's, it's so beautiful, it makes your heart hurt. And also you're like, well, goddamn, you spent, people spent money on this. Yeesh. Money. Money makes the world go round. But thank you, Georges Nagelmaka, for creating something that inspired Bram Stoker to to have a scene in Dracula set on it, for Agatha Christie to have an entire novel set on it, for, uh, what else, James Bond. Yeah. A lot has happened Chemin on this train. Chemin du Fer de Nord de France. Or are you reading the poster that I sent you? I am. There's a travel poster. Uh, I like it. 
Paris and Bucharest, Orient Express, Paris, Munich, Vienne, Budapest, Belgrade, Constantinople. <laughs> Hashtag goals. Hashtag goals. Anyways, so thank you, Gilded Gang, for listening to us and being patient while we are constantly sorting out life problems. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you want to see any photos, again, I'm pointing you towards our Instagram. That's at Outrageously Unnecessary. Uh, or go tweet at us at OUnnecessaryPod. Um, you can send us an email at OutrageouslyUnnecessary at gmail.com. Um, yeah, in any case, please give us a shout. If you like what you're hearing, for God's sake, give us a rating. I want a rating. Give me a rating. Give us ratings. Um, I'm sorry, was that too forceful? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any case, it was a delight to be able to tell you about things that we'll never have. And I think the moral of this episode is don't toss a dwarf. Don't do that. That's rude. Unless they ask you to, in which case, sure, go ahead. <laughs> Get consent from your dwarf. Yep. Dwarf consent. Dwarf hashtag consent. 2020. Hashtag. I feel boundaries. like that shouldn't be a hashtag. Never mind. Don't tweet that. Don't do Don't that, guys. It. Don't tweet that. Don't do it. Uh-uh. All right. All right. Good night, guys. Yeah, bye.